Shel Silverson writes an interesting little book, a little children's book called The Giving Tree. And the book starts off this way, once there was a tree and she loved a little boy. And the story goes on and says that the little boy would come to the tree and he would eat of her apples, he would swing in her branches, and he'd slide down her trunk and the tree was happy because after all, she was there for the little boy. As the little boy got older, he wanted money. So he took the apples and he sold the apples and made money. The tree gave and the tree was happy. A little later, the boy wanted a house. And so the boy went and cut the branches off the house. The tree gladly gave them. The boy built him a house. Later on, the boy wanted a boat. So he went and he cut down the trunk of the tree and he made a boat. And then at the end, all that was left was a tree stump in which the little boy, the, the old man now came and sat on the trunk of the tree. The story reminds us that creation is here for us to use, but it's not here for us to abuse. We have a responsibility. This is a sixth. I wasn't going to preach a sermon on, on this. As, if you look at my board, it's only five sermons. I've been preaching through issues of the heart. As we dealt with some critical issues in society today, we talked about abortion. We talked about hunger. We talked about homosexuality. We talked about racism. Uh, we talked about, I, I can't remember what the other one was, but uh, you remember we, we talked about all those things that we talked about. Well, today we come to a sixth sermon in that series and issues of the heart. And today we want to talk about uh, what is our responsibility to the world in which God has given us. There's basically two schools of thought uh, when you think about this. And I have to admit, I have problems kind of wavering between what it is, you know, between the Al Gore types that say we are to that basically, you know, worship the creation to, to those who ignore the creation. So you got, on the one hand, those who idolize it. On the other hand, you have those who ignore it. And as I think about those two extremes, I'm reminded that we, we need to be careful when we're examining the scientific facts. Most of us in the room are not scientists, so we rely upon the information of others, but we have to be careful before we just accept everything at face value. I'm reminded of a true story by the man by the name of a man called Roger Pinkle, Pockleton. Roger was an, is, is an oceanographer uh, in Canada who studies weather conditions in eastern Arctic Canada. And he be, became concerned with the weather temperatures in the water. He began noticing as he studied the water temperatures from Newfoundland to Bermuda that the water was falling. It was getting colder. And his, his study determined that colder, denser water was pushing further south, which impacted the cod fisheries of the Grand Banks. So this caused problems for the fishermen because they began realizing, wait a minute, we're not going to be able to catch our fish. We're not going to be able to, uh, to uh, take care, provide our livelihood for our families. And, and so he, he was welcomed into the, the, the circle of that time, which the idea that the world was getting colder. And so he was welcomed into that circle of influential people, and they even used his analysis to support their data, to support their, their presupposition that the world indeed was getting cooler. Time passed by, and the earth getting cooler was pushed to the side, and now the earth began getting warmer. 
the, uh, the global, global warming is the call. However, Roger Pocklington continued to espouse, no, the earth is getting colder based upon my analysis of the scientific data. However, he was no longer welcome into the realm of the discussion because his facts, his scientific facts, no longer fit the agenda of the people who said, no, the earth is getting warmer. Of course, now the earth is not getting colder. The earth is not getting warmer. Now it's just that it's climate change. We experience climate change every week in Texas. You know, <laughs> uh, we know what climate change is like. So the point I'm trying to make, is when we start hearing all these scientific facts, we've got to step back for a moment before we have a knee-jerk reaction and we all go out and buy electric cars and put windmills in our backyards. We've got to be careful. You know, but, you know, at the same time, we, we don't want to go to the point we idolize our position, but at the same time, we don't want to be in a position where we ignore what might be out there, which reminds me of a story I heard, uh, or a story that I read about Sherlock Holmes and his partner, Dr. Watson. One night they were out camping uh, in, in, the, in the country, in, in the forest, and they, uh, they lay down for the night and they looked up at all the stars and Sherlock Holmes turned to Dr. Watson and goes, Dr. Watson, what do you see? And Dr. Watson said, well, I see, I see millions of stars. He says, and what does that tell you, Dr. Watson? He says, well, astronomically, it tells me that there's millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it tells me it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. And what does this tell you, Doctor? Uh, what does this tell you, Mr. Holmes? He says it tells me that somebody stole our tent. <laughs> we we have to avoid either either extreme. That we idolize the planet and we ignore it. Somewhere we have to be able to to balance that. And, and I think that's what we want to talk about. You know, I think that the good news for you and I is that we do not have to come down on either side. You know, we, we, we don't have to choose either extreme in order to develop an environmental uh, policy. And I want you to know that the environment is not a contemporary issue. Regardless of what people might hear you say, it's not something that just came up in the last 30, 40, 50 years. When God pasted, uh, pasted the sun in the sky and he hung stars in the space and he gave man his first breath, he's been all about taking care of his environment. Now, I'm going to stand before you today and admit that I am not an environmentalist, okay? Uh, so I'm probably not the best one to stand up here and, and share this. I call this my Marcy sermon. Because as we were going through the issues uh, in our, our staff meeting, Marcy says, you know, I'm really concerned about the environment. I'm really concerned about the environment. And so because of that, even though I had something lined up to preach today, I said, you know, I think I'm going to preach on the environment because I want to make sure my staff is happy. So Marcy is the resident th theologian when it comes to the environment. So y'all can talk to her. But what I want to do this morning is I want to present to you the best, uh, the best, tr uh, the best that I can. And I want to present the truth around two basic points that help us answer the question, what does God say about the environment? What does God say about the environment? The first truth is, care for the environment 
begins with a celebration of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says all that we need to know, uh, and all the, about all we see and all we know. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse is loaded with significance. It says that in the beginning, when there was nothing, God created something out of nothing. Before there was an environment, there was God who created an environment. He was the creator. He's the one that called everything into existence. And we go through the rest of that Genesis chapter 1. It says he spoke it into existence except for the crowning creation, which was man, which he shaped with his hands. Genesis chapter 1 tells us who's in charge and how everything got here. Before God began anything, he created the world. This is the fundamental truth, in, in, in and in in it's, in it's a foundational belief for you and I. If we are going to approach environmentalism, not just logically and practically, but biblically, we have to ask the question, to whom does the earth belong? Whom does it belong to? Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But that thought is echoed throughout Scripture. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So when you couple Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Psalm 24, 1 together, uh, you, you understand that God is the creator and that he's also the owner of this creation where we live. But there, there's a flip side to this truth. Look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. We spent a lot of time in these verses. I think almost every passage, every time we've been dealing with an important issue, we always come back to the, to the beginning. Genesis 1, 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then we read in Psalm 115, verse 16, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. So what we see going on here is that any time we, we, we discuss the environment, uh, we've got to have a balanced approach. It belongs to God, and it belongs to humanity. It belongs to God because God made it. It belongs to humanity because God gave it to us, is what we understand. But this next point is very, very important for us to understand. God did not transfer ownership of the environment to us. He transferred stewardship to us. He said, I'm the landlord. You are stewards of what I've given you. So because of that, we have two words that we need to remember. We have responsibility and accountability. We're responsible for the creation and we are accountable to the way we create it. He made it very plain though in the scripture that creation was made for humans to enjoy. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Did you catch that part? 
circle it, underline it, pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God created an aesthetic beauty in this creation, something that was beautiful to the eyes, but also good, beneficial for us to enjoy. He made it intentionally for the enjoyment of his children. It's kind of like Walt Disney created Disney World for the enjoyment of the family. I know that's a bad comparison, but, but you get the point. God created this earth, this creation, this environment for the enjoyment of his children, for the enjoyment of his family. And so God builds aesthetic beauty into the creation so that our eyes can enjoy the sun settling between two mountains. I remember living in Arizona, one of the beautiful sights that we, you could sit on our back porch and you could watch the sun rising or setting over the mountains. A beautiful sight to withhold. God created uh, the sound of the water lapping on the beach. One of my favorite places to go and just relax and just hear the sound of the, beach, the waves lapping on the shore. God created in the earth the smell of the beautiful flowers, the fresh flowers in the morning. God created all of these things. And then seven times in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that when God talks about his creation, he goes, it was good, it was good, it was good. When you hear seven times in Hebrew thought, it's talking about perfection. Let me tell you, God's creation is still good today. It's flawed, it's marred, but it is still good. Now, as a footnote, I just couldn't get away from this. Just as we celebrate God's creation, should we also not celebrate humanity as the crowning point of God's creation? He says we are the best that God created, and we should, we should celebrate that. For a fact, Jesus Christ came, the Son of God came to die for humanity, to restore them. And so, by default, hear me on this, this is what a lot of our friends do not understand. To be pro-environment is also to be pro-life. Because humanity is the crowning achievement of God's creation. So if you're going to honor God, you're going to be, I'm pro-environment, then you better be pro-life to have a consistent understanding of creation, the understanding of the environment. Imagine this way. What if somebody said, I want to honor Rembrandt, you know, the great painter. Uh, some of his paintings are hanging in some of the greatest uh, museums in the world. And what if we said, I want to honor Rembrandt, but at the same time, I'm going to desecrate his paintings. That doesn't make any sense. By the same time, you can't sit there and say, I want to honor God, I want to honor the Creator, and at the same time, try to destroy His creation. You can't do it. It doesn't work in that situation. That's, as, that's why as soon as God created the universe, and then He places man in the garden, he gives him his first job. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. The first job that God gave man and by result all of humanity was creation care. 
The, that ought to put the, put the, put the doubt, the, the world's oldest profession. You know what it is? It's landscaping. According to the scriptures, it's landscaping. Creation care is a concept that comes right out of God's Word. We are told to take care of His creation, which leads to our second truth as we look at this passage. Care for the environment means preservation of creation. We, we are quick to understand, and, and God makes it clear that we are only one of many organisms in this world, but God gave man the position of dominance, that we are to be the ruler over this earth. And we have to admit that we've never had as much technology as we do now to exercise so much power and dominion over our creation. A force can be levied in a day or a few days. We can, we can reroute rivers by creating dams and reservoirs. We can change the course. We can control the flooding by that. Well, we, we, can, we can now grow crops in places at one time crops could not be grown. You know, we can drill into the earth and pull stuff out of the earth that provides us. We have amazing technology and amazing ability. So never before has our responsibility and our accountability to care for creation been so high and so vital. And this whole idea of, of responsibility and accountability comes back to two words. Look at uh, verse 28 again. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Two words, subdue and rule. Those are the two words I want you to focus on. Circle those, underline those in that passage because they are the key. That word subdue in the original means to tread down or to bring into bondage is what that word means. It's the image of a conqueror and the strong implication of, this ver of these words is that humanity is to have jurisdiction over the environment. We are to, to tread on it. We are to bring it into bondage. The next word you see there, subdue, is the word rule. That word rule means to prevail over. Again, it's a word used of being victorious. And it's talking about something that needs to be controlled. There's something out there that needs to be controlled and it needs somebody to come in and rule over it to put it under its feet. God has given man his highest creation. He's given man the responsibility to subdue and to rule over his creation. I'm reminded of that great uh, theologian, Peter Parker's Uncle Ben, if you know who Peter Parker is. Y'all know who Peter Parker is? Spider-Man? Come on. Haven't y'all heard this? His, his, this great theologian said, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. I'm going to tell you, that, that illustration will fly in the next service. I just want you to know that, okay? It will stick, so to speak, all right? With great power comes great responsibility. Now listen, though we have dominion over creation, it does not mean domination. 
Look at Genesis 2, 15 again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That word care is the key word. That word care can be translated keep clean or better yet, preserve. Keep clean or preserve. We do not have license from God to rape the resources of our, of our world. It is one thing to use the planet. It is another thing to abuse the planet. We have a sacred responsibility from God to keep, to care, to preserve his planet. Perhaps the words of Carl F. Henry sums it up pretty well. He said this, Scripture does not set forth specific lines of ecological action, which may vary with time and place, but it does present fixed principles that indicate that God was not content to create a chaotic wasteland, but rather a habitable universe, and that he expects his designated stewards to maintain it that way. Listen, the Bible does not lay out specific guidelines like, Thou shalt not drive a Hummer. You shall recycle garbage. The Bible doesn't say that. Nowhere do we see that. But it does say that we are to be a ruler, but if we're going to be a ruler, we ought to be a benevolent ruler. Listen, God gave specific commands to the nation of Israel to exercise good stewardship in the land. Go back and look at the book of Leviticus. Look at the book of Deuteronomy. And God lays out specific guidelines for them to take care of the land, to care for the land. He says, take care of the land. Treat domesticated animals properly. Respect wildlife. Conserve trees. Even down to bury your waste. Bury your waste. These were practical applications of caring for the environment. Go back and look at the promised land. Do you ever realize that the promised land never completely belonged to the land of Israel? or to the people of Israel. God, it was called the promised land because God kept his promise to Abraham. He promised it to Abraham. So he said, I'm going to promise the land to Abraham and his descendants. But the people of Israel, owned, they owned the land as representative of the tribe of that land. And the scripture says they could never sell the land to anybody outside their tribe. Never. And then they could also, they could never sell the land to anyone permanently. That's why God instituted uh, the year of Jubilee for a lot, of, a lot of reasons. But every 50th year, the land reverted back to the original owner. Why? Why did God did that, do that? He did that to teach that the land was still His and it's not, it's not, does not belong to human beings. So they do not have, human beings do not have the right to use it as they pleased. They had to use it understanding they were just tenants. They were not the landlord. They didn't own it. It's the same way with creation as well. God placed us on this creation, but we don't own it. We're just here to take care of it for him. Albert Einstein said this, it is every man's obligation to put back into the world at least the equivalent of what he takes out, takes out of it. I know what you're saying. Okay, we get it. We got it, Pastor. Don't beat us over the head anymore. 
He's the owner. We are the stewards of this land. It's his creation. It's not ours. We are responsible. We are accountable. What are we to do now? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I want to give you an acrostic to help you understand your responsibility. Here it is. It's profound. Here it is. Here's the acrostic. C-P-R. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't stand for what, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. It doesn't stand. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Let me give it to you. Here's the first one. The first one is clean up the environment. Clean creation. Create, we are to clean creation as much as possible without substituting the creation for the creator. We don't want to fall in the trap of Romans chapter 1 that we worship the creation more than we do the creator. But at the same time, we ought to act, act in a responsible way that is best for the most people possible. We ought to clean the air, clean the water, clean the land, uh, clean the natural, and natural resources, make them as clean as possible. It may be as simple as throwing, not throwing garbage in a, in a stream, in a river, in a lake. Or it may be as much as stop smoking because you want to take care of your body but also you want to take care of the environment. I remember when we served in Illinois and we were renovating our facilities and we were very sensitive that the, the, the community that lived around us was very, urban, very young and urban, kind of a, uh, the, uh, the millennials. And they were really big into the environment. So we said, what can we do when we, when we do this new facility? What can we do to be mindful of these individuals? So, you know, we didn't do anything radical. You know, we, we got... Uh, uh, air blowers in the bathrooms instead of paper towels. You know, you dry, you know, I know some of my senior adults, well, I like that paper towel. I said, I know you do, but this is better for those people coming in. We want to let them know we care about our environment. And then we, we did something really radical. We went to biodegradable cups instead of styrofoam. Uh, little things like that. It's just the little thing. We went to LED lights instead of, uh, you know, the, the bright incandescent lights. Just little tiny things like that. So when somebody would come in our church and say, hey, they care about the environment. We, we wanted to use that as an avenue to let them know that, hey, we're sensitive to your concerns. So, so we need to think about clean the creation. Second, pick up. Pick up. I am amazed at how many people just don't pick up garbage, even around the church. You know, I'll come to our park, I'll say, what's that can doing here? What's that cup doing here? There's a piece of And I bend down and pick it up and bring it in. Listen, it's not Don's job to clean the entire facility. You're supposed to be cleaning it as well. Don't leave your coffee cup, coffee cup standing around. Don't put your trash in the parking lot. Get rid of it. We can do a little bit. You don't believe me, do you? Walk around the church sometime. Walk around the parking lot. Better yet, walk around your neighborhood. Walk around the streets, walk around, drive by the highway and look at all the clutter and all the trash. I don't want to ever go there and find, pick up a piece of trash lying around and see one of your names on it. You know what I'm going to do if I find it? I'm going to mail it to you. And say, so I found, I'm going to say, I found something you lost. <laughs> I'm just returning it to you. So clean the creation, pick up. Last one, recycle. Ah, I wish I hadn't brought this one up. This is something my oldest daughter, Jacqueline, is constantly hounding me about. Daddy, you need to recycle and care for the environment. So I do. I'm not real 
I'm not dogmatic about it, you know. Uh, you know, I'll put a cardboard box or a, a, a tin can or a plastic. I'll put it in my little recycle bin. But, you know, we need to be more conscientious of that. We need to recycle so that we can, we can leave the, the land better than it was when we got it. How does God feel when we rape, rob, pillage, and trash the world He gave us to tend and care for? You cannot glorify the Creator and heap contempt upon His creation. You can't do it. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe with all of our heart that He is Lord of the church. Guess what? He's Lord of creation as well. And so because He's Lord of creation, for those of us who are followers of Christ, creation must be of interest to us around here and around the world. It must be of interest. One last one. If we are to care for a world that is temporary, how much more should we care for the souls that are eternal? God created this world for us to live in. He created for us to enjoy. He created for us to take care of. But Jesus Christ did not die for the world. For the physical world. He died for the people world. Jesus Christ came to redeem humanity to himself. Jesus Christ died. He was raised from the dead. Not to live in the physical world. But to live in each one of us. And he wants to be our ruler. He wants to be our Lord. He wants to be in control of our lives. And everything we do. And everything we say. When you take care of God's most valuable creation, your soul, that is the greatest creation care you could ever find, taking care of your life. So where do we go from here? What's God's challenge to you? CPR. Do what you can with the time that you are left. Most of us are going to live on this earth, you know, 85, 90 years if we're lucky. Some of you may go longer. Some of you may go shorter. What are you going to do in that span of eternity that God has given to you? That little bit of time that God has given to you. We as a church can do better. We as individuals can do better. So God's challenge to you is to love His creation, but don't place it above the Creator. Take care of the creation that God has given to you. Be a good steward of what He's given to you. Would you join with me? as we pray.